Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Mercier. I'm co-owner of Juice Imports, and today uh, we have a very special guest in the studio. Uh, I've I've known him for I don't know maybe five and a half years, almost six years now, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have you introduce yourself and and let us know what you do. For sure. Uh, really fun to uh, to see the intro live. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Tarek. Uh, everyone, I. Uh, Started, uh, I'm the founder of Revel Cider. And I started this back in 2014. Started making cider 2013, just a year before uh, starting the company. Um, yeah, and here we are almost 10 years later. Uh, yeah, Revel Cider, if anyone doesn't know, uh, we make cider, we make wine, we make vermouth. Um, the what do we do? We everything is wild, fermented, unfiltered, unfined. Uh, I'm sure similar to most of the other guests, um, but uh, I think um, kind of what maybe sets us apart, or what we like focus on a little bit more, is just trying to capture everything in Ontario. So yeah, we're in Guelph, Ontario, um, and we use exclusively Ontario ingredients for everything. And we're really just trying to capture uh, almost the entirety of the biodiversity that grows uh, in Ontario, or at least as much of it as is humanly possible, because it definitely could not ferment literally everything. But uh, we, we get pretty close, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like the number of species that uh, that you have bottled is definitely, you're probably winning. Like, for, for the most number of things that any other human being has ever put into bottle, potentially. Yeah. That, uh, uh, that's really sweet. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, as much yeah. of a contest as it can be, yeah. Totally, yeah. I'd be super curious to do, yeah, do the math on that one day. Yeah. But, uh, Okay, so l let's let's go back as far as we can to the beginning. <laughs> sure. Your uh, transition into cider uh, and into making fermented things comes mostly from uh, the agriculture side of things is, is sort of my understanding. Maybe mm -hmm. you can give us a background on uh, what those early days of fermentation looked like and how you ended up uh, even fooling around with that. Totally, yeah. Uh, we can go back even further. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, spent my earliest years in uh, rural Ohio where uh, my family were not farmers but we were surrounded by farms and there was just something about that lifestyle that spoke to me. Um, moved to Canada when I was pretty young, uh, I was six years old. Uh, into Brampton, Ontario, so uh, kind of suburb uh, central, uh, and yeah, kind of went to went to university for plant science. Went to the University of Guelph for plant science, hoping I would you know somehow lead me back to some kind of rural lifestyle, um, whether that was owning a farm or or what. Um, that was that was the goal. I wanted to own a farm. I wanted to be a farmer. Um, and then in, after my second year of plant science, I kind of felt like I wasn't really getting like a true 
kind of farm experience. Like there's a, a physical and like mental aspect of farming that I wasn't getting out of textbooks. And so I went and lived on an organic uh, vegetable farm. Uh, they primarily grew vegetables, but they also had a bunch of different animals. They had horses, they had cows, pigs, chickens. Um, and uh, there were fruit trees uh, around the farm too. They grew mushrooms uh, that for, that first year I was there, or that was the first year that they were growing mushrooms. Um, so I just felt like I chose that farm specifically because I thought I would get kind of exposure uh, to different types of agriculture. And I also liked what they were doing. They were really treating their farm like an ecosystem where, um, you know, one of the first tasks was uh, we had to kind of pitchfork all of the uh, manure out of the barns that was, you know, accumulated over the winter. Uh, So that was a a hell of a task. But, um, you know, they put that on the compost pile and that's the compost that they use for the vegetable fields. Um, The best example that I have uh, of like, you know, trying to turn your agricultural, um, you know, producing space into uh, also an ecosystem was they wanted to plant strawberries. They wanted to plant a field of strawberries. And what they did was they took their pigs and they fenced them off in this little like area and pigs being pigs with, you know, shovels for noses, yeah. uh, turned up the entire, uh, place. So they tilled basically all of that area for us and, and fertilized it over the space of a week. Uh, and then they took the pigs out and then we planted and it was like, yeah, like this is sick. Yeah. Uh, and it was also like way less effort than like actually like, filling a tractor with with diesel and like going uh, into there Uh, or it felt less effort it certainly took more time but you also get you also get pigs after which is like great totally yeah absolutely um where where am I going with this? Uh, the original question I think was like uh, getting into fermentation. Okay, yeah, yeah so, exactly. So on the farm they had what uh, they called a focus for every intern, uh, and so on your Saturdays you had to do like a self-directed project uh, with the resources that the farm had to offer. So like they had like a couple solar panels, not very many, but some people like did that historically. Uh, long story short. I chose fermentation, um, but it was like, it started as like pickle fermentations. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had this like outdoor kitchen space. um, And so I would have like buckets full of like, uh, you know, sauerkraut that was being wild fermented. Uh, And you'd add, you know, um, horseradish leaves and stuff in there so that uh, you could get some tannin. uh, So it wasn't all like mushy, it was still a crunchy sauerkraut. and yeah, did uh, other types of pickles, did um, some carrots, uh, tried my hand at making cheese kind of unsuccessfully. Um, <laughs> but then fruit started to come uh, available and so started through alcoholic ferments. I think one of the first things was like uh, mulberry wine, mm. which we've yet to make commercially, but I would love to do that. Uh, mulberries are just like... Um, they ripen so inconsistently that uh, I think commercializing that is like very uh, difficult but uh, I would like to try um, I feel like you love doing challenging things yeah there's not there's not yeah I yeah. mean the harder it is yeah the more we like want to do it I feel like sometimes which is like yeah it can be exhausting sometimes but uh, when you have too many projects going on at once but uh, uh, it certainly fills our, our cups uh, metaphorically and literally I guess <laughs> Uh, yeah, so went back to university afterwards 
and uh, was kind of going into my third year at this point, was um, serving at a restaurant uh, and living with, you know, four roommates at the time. And I, yeah, had this itch to continue fermenting things. Uh, and so I bought an old wine press and a grape grinder from this older Italian guy. I uh, found it on Kijiji. He was making like 800 liters of wine a year in his garage by himself. And he's like, my kids don't want to help me anymore. My back is giving out. I need to sell this equipment. <laughs> so I got these. Uh, he had he had made a grape grinder, which um, like had a motor on it and everything. And it was like powerful enough to do apples. So it must have like tore grapes apart, honestly. Um, but I used it for apples, which is great. Because uh, that was the hardest part at that point in time. It was like making cider at home. And it still is very like a hard part of making cider at home. It's just like, how do you mill the apples yeah for sure press them with a wine press but uh getting a mill that's powerful enough uh was challenging at the time anyways so i would go to the farmer's market every weekend and like get a like single varietal bushel of something um just to see like what does northern spy taste like what does what does like golden russet taste like on its own and then like try and figure out what like a mixed blend would be after the fact but i literally just like took an empty keg from the place that I worked and it would like fill up those kegs. And eventually what I started doing was I, I would download a, a murder mystery script online and I would invite all of my uh, friends out uh, to both act in the murder mystery and like just to participate and figure out who the murderer was. Uh, and I would run a cash bar uh, all night, which was, yeah, certainly not legal. Uh, and I would make enough money to buy more apples the next weekend. Uh, and yeah, that was, uh, that was the very, very beginning. Uh, the University of Guelph eventually gave me a small grant to start the business. And uh, once someone hands you a chunk of money to do something, you kind of have to start it. Uh, and yeah, just like never stopped, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I vaguely remember this from our early conversations, but you used that grant towards getting a space, correct? It was uh, for equipment um, okay. for the most part. Uh, so we bought like a couple totes. Um, and so the space that I was in originally was um, actually West Avenue Cider's space mm. um, for the first two years. Uh, he had spent his first two years at Pommies. And during this time, I was calling him, uh, asking him for advice on like how to kind of get into the industry, basically. So he knew I was looking for um, a way in. And when he got his space, he was like, "Okay, yeah, I've like got a bigger space than I need, just like Tommy's did. Uh, you know, you can be here for two years, then you got to get out because I'm going to grow into it." Yeah. Um, but that allowed me to start um, and not have to buy all of the equipment up front. So totally. I used like his. Um, his pump and like hoses and I, I bought like a couple of totes basically but yeah everything else was his equipment yeah yeah super cool yeah so it sounds kind of like uh your move towards fermenting things was sort of just this uh natural progression of seeing how an organic farm works this idea that uh you use nature like that's that's the thing that I find so amazing about so many of the farmers that we work with and so many of the people that we work with is they leverage nature as opposed to looking for uh, I I don't know exactly how to put it but like these these more sort of like strong armed approaches of accomplishing goals mm-hmm. instead they're just like oh like the, this 
already can happen naturally as long as I uh, create the right environment for it. So in the case of the strawberries, like you're like, cool, like I have a th- like I have an animal that I already have to take care of that actually already performs the task that I was going to do anyways. Yeah. And does it way better than we could anyways totally. in this really sort of like efficient, natural way. Uh, With the then, addition of fertilizing it too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the same sort of thing comes from maybe your ideology behind fermentation and, and why you maybe went towards uh, natural fermentation is you're like, I, d- I don't need to rely on all these sort of like modern crutches of uh, of commercial creation of, of alcohol products. Uh, you're like, I can actually just leverage nature. And I, again, I remember like on, on your very first cans, maybe not your very first cans, but yeah. uh, the affordable housing yeah. for uh, yeast and for bacteria. Yeast and bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it was just, yeah, I, I feel like uh, these things really tie into one another. Did yeah. you have an interest in like alcohol as a general statement before you started working on that farm? Or was it, did you get interested in it through these experiments with fermentation? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I was interested in, in the way that every university student is interested in alcohol, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, which maybe isn't the healthiest of relationships. Uh, but at the same time, um, uh, cider was like kind of just becoming uh, a thing in Ontario where it was really actually just some of the macro uh, producers that were making some ciders. Um and I remember they were all just like so crazy sweet. Um, however, uh, yeah, I had an interest in like cider specifically. Uh, and it was actually it goes back um, to being in high school. No, just finishing high school. Um, I really didn't drink at all uh, during high school, which is just like a function of being, a, you know, a kid in a Muslim family, basically. Um, but uh, I remember I won I like via rail tickets from work. I was a janitor um, at the X uh, and they were, yeah, I gave away via rail tickets and the furthest you could go was Montreal. Uh, and so like me and my buddy went to Montreal and we were like just old enough to drink in Quebec, not in the rest of Canada. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I remember we stayed at a hostel and they like took us on a little pub crawl and I was like drinking beer for the first time. And I was like, like, I feel like most people's first experience with beer. I was like, this is way too bitter. What is this? I don't like it. Uh, and then Sean, this Australian guy um, who also taught me how to play pool on that trip <laughs> um, was like, oh, you should try cider. And we like a lot of the, like the little breweries that we had been to on this like pub crawl, like also made the cider um, and they were like really interesting. Um, sure, they were back sweetened as well, but they kind of weren't. Uh, to the level that some of the macro stuff was, and they weren't as one note as some of the macro stuff. Um, I mean, this is back in like 2012 too, which was like a very different environment. For sure. Uh, but Quebec, I think historically always has like uh, made some effort with food and drink, or a little bit more than maybe the rest of the uh, of the uh, continent. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, at least it feels that way. Um, and so, yeah, coming coming back to, uh, you know, being in university and drinking these, like, sweeter ciders, I was like, I actually just want, like, a dry cider. You can't buy that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even everything West Ham was making at the time was also back sweetened. Um, and so I was, like, just making things that I wanted to drink myself. Um, beyond that, I wasn't, like, I was not, like... Um, 
you know, buying a ton of wine uh, on my own and like super kind of into into booze, really. Um, it really started as just like a, I want to drink dry cider, so I'm going to make it myself. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. No, I appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, I feel like even today, uh, to, to give you some context, uh, Tarek is in town right now for Top Drop. And uh, in addition to you being here, we also had uh, Annalisa from Creek and Gully, who's previously been on this podcast, actually. Uh, so definitely go back and listen to that. But um, we were pouring at Vine Arts earlier today, and so many people came up and she's like, oh, do you want to try some cider today? And they're like, oh, no, like, I don't really like sweet things. Mm. And she was just like, oh, no, like, it's, I swear, I swear to you, it's not sweet. Yeah. Like, it has, like, less than two grams per liter of sugar. Like, we, we were talking, like, bone, like, bone dry, essentially. And they're like, are you sure? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm absolutely like, positive. don't believe you, yeah. And it's, it's just <laughs> astonishing to me. Again, and, and this just goes to show how uh, insular my own community is and how mm. I, I live in my own feedback loop of, like, I don't remember the last time that uh, I tried a cider that was sweet. Yeah. Uh, and again, it, it just goes to show that like I live in my, my own little world where, again, 99% of the people who came in were like, oh, this is going to be sweet. Like they see a cider, they assume sweetness. Yeah. Uh, and so to go against that, especially 10 years ago, where mm -hmm. it's like, again, I'd say that the trend is towards drier now. Um, but still 10 years ago, like that's, that's just a totally different game for sure. Yeah. We were certainly the first ones in Ontario to make a zero sugar, uh, cider. And it was funny, like, uh, like, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, Chris from West Avenue cider was like looking over my shoulder and seeing it. And then he started making them too. And I was like, yes, please. Like we need more of this. Yeah. Uh, it was so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there, what was your, what was the transition from, um, from making cider for like fun and for your friends uh, mm. to making commercial cider. Like what did that, what did the decision-making process look like there? And then what was sort of the learning curve on, okay, it's one thing to like make a batch for my friends and it's another thing to make something that's going to be at least somewhat consistent for, you know, mass consumers, I suppose. Totally. Uh, so yeah, I kind of spent my third year, you know, making uh, third year of school, making like cider for my friends and doing those little house parties and whatnot. Um, and then in my fourth year, I like had this, at this point, I was like, I don't really want this plant science degree. I'm just going to take the courses that I actually am interested in. So I like took some organic agriculture courses. Uh, but there was one course that like kind of interested me and it was, um, it was uh, a fourth year course where you basically built a business plan for something. It could be like any type of business. Um, and that was what you spent the entire semester doing. And you would kind of come out with it with a business plan of some sort. Uh, and like, I don't know, anyone that's run a business knows that business plans are like a work of fiction. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was uh, a fun experience. And it was like, you know, all my friends telling me, oh, you know, you should do this commercially, whatever, yada, yada. We love this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys are, you know, just like want to get drunk uh it's like I don't, i'm like i don't know if i really trust you yet uh about this so i was like okay i'm, I'm gonna like just do this course because it seems like fun um and like fun like um kind of 
exercise to go through building a business plan for this project that I might not do. Um, but at the end of that course, uh, someone came in from the university and they were just starting this like incubator program. They're like, we'll give you $8,000. Um, it's like a pitch competition um, where you like have to submit a business plan and they're like, all of you have just made one. Uh, so if you like would like to submit it and then like pitch us and our, you know, people that we selected to be judges, um, feel free. Um, and so I did that and I brought bottles of uh, Perry, actually, that I made from pears that were in our backyard at the time. Um, and pears are also just like impossible to press. So I actually like crushed them with a potato masher and then like oh tried to goodness. strain them with like a cheesecloth bag, basically. And that was that was chaos. Uh, but I did that. Um, and uh, brought this Perry there. And I remember like the idea actually was that we were going to make a cider that could hold a head, which is like the stupidest idea now, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. But uh, what happened was I pour- so I was like waiting, you know, my turn to pitch. These bottles of Perry were like in my backpack and getting warmer. And so as I poured them, they were like super foamy and they like saw it as like proof of concept. They're like, oh, you've done it. And I just didn't say anything. Yeah. I didn't correct them. I was <laughs> like, like, actually, this is just hot side of yeah, my backpack. Totally, yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah, I just didn't correct them. And they were like, yeah, you've done it. Sick. This is innovative. It's different here's some money. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I say, as soon as someone like gives you $8,000 to do it, if you want it, you have to start. Yeah. Um, and so I had been calling up West Ave at this point for the course kind of to like figure that out. And then I like, I kind of looked at uh, a couple of little like spaces around town, uh, again, kind of like under the guise of doing this course and not really like thinking I might do this actually seriously. Um, but I mean, maybe subconsciously that was the case. Uh, and I just uh, didn't truly admit it to myself yet. <laughs> yeah, hard to say, but yeah, it was the the funding that really kind of like pushed it over the edge. It was like, okay, I guess I have to take the jump. Yeah. Um, you were saying you had some, uh, some sort of resources through, uh, through that as well too, where you got access to uh, some people, maybe like a lawyer or like an accountant who were able to maybe walk you through that part of the business as well too, right? Totally. Yeah. So yeah. I had, you know, no business experience, do not come from like a family of uh, entrepreneurs or anything like that. Um, so really had like no one to turn to, uh, but part of the incubator program, yeah, they brought a lawyer and they brought an accountant in, they brought like, uh, I think a marketing person in and, um, uh, I would say like some of these like weren't so valuable, but some of them were really valuable. Uh, specifically, the lawyer and the accountant. I still work with that lawyer and that accountant today. Wow! Uh, yeah. Holy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they've been like great uh, to work with. Shout out University of Guelph. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, like I had no idea about any of these things uh, about running a business. Uh, I just like liked fermenting things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As I think anyone that gets into business does, they you know they don't necessarily get into it to because they're enamored by accounting. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I again, we'll get to a lot more of this later, but it's I think that you maybe didn't know at that time that you were interested in business. Mm. Uh, but I feel like now a lot of the things that you're most excited about are uh, ways of connecting with people and uh, ways of showing off your space and 
uh, a lot more things like that, like like connecting all these different components where it seems to be as much about the fermentation and about the end product as it is about like curating this sort of space and this brand and this, uh, I don't know, this, this sort of like whole vibe around, around Rebel as a general statement. So totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It started like, you know, first two and a half years I did everything myself and it was like, you know, it was fermentation and it was all I thought about was product. And I had the luxury of being able to do that because I did not have to think about sales because cider was on such a trajectory at that point that it didn't matter. Like I didn't sell really at all. Uh, people were just like reaching out to me uh, because everyone wanted cider and there weren't enough producers making it. Yeah. And so I could like run two and a half years um, literally living with roommates and like working in a restaurant and not paying myself from the business uh, and like deliver all of these like kegs and also it was all kegs at that point too which yeah. was a lot easier to do as like one person because it was craft beer bars specifically that were looking for cider yeah what were some of those first places yeah uh, barvolo uh, was yeah. one of our first customers um bar hop verse tequila bookworm the 470s are all toronto spots uh, yeah in in guelph uh, actually the restaurant that i worked with was the first customer at borealis so i guess shout out to them <laughs> um they like ran through four kegs in their first night and i was stoked um but, Whoa. yeah it was bonkers i feel like the whole sound came out uh guelph is not a small it's not a large uh, large city uh, by any means but um yeah, so yeah, just just a lot of a lot of beer like natural wine, like no one wasn't even saying the term. No, it didn't really not. exist as a term in Ontario at least. Yeah. Um at the time. And now I feel like we, we certainly fit uh in the natural wine world just as well as we fit in the craft beer space, which is like yeah. uh a nice thing about cider. But yeah, I got really lucky with timing. Um I feel like people that are kind of like started even a couple years afterwards are just like uh wow, it's like a real struggle. Uh, and we just like had some brand recognition and just like, uh, you know, that, that start of the snowball happened yeah. easy, um, which I'm like so grateful now. And I don't even realize, well, like I realize how good I had it now, uh, having had, you know, some uh, more difficult years in, in recent years. But uh, yeah, it was just like, oh my goodness, this just like works. Uh, and I can just think about product all day and all night. Totally. Um, and now, yeah, it's it's kind of gotten to, I guess, that original kind of like interest in like systems where um, it is interesting to like kind of have a system where like people can like um, talk to each other and like have the space and freedom to be creative in their own right. Um, part of it was that part of it was like actually just, yeah, just hiring other people. Um, like if you want to continue to give raises to people every year, uh, then your business kind of needs to grow. That money doesn't <laughs> to like come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also like if you want, you know, people to stay with you, it's like we've had really good luck attracting good people. Um, but if you want those people to stay with you, then you also have to like give them a bit of like fulfillment in their role. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, yeah, it was actually like, okay, I have to like get out of production because I have these like talented production people and I can't be like, I have, have to let them to be the creative. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I have to let them be creative. Uh, and that is like, Honestly, like, cause like when I was doing production, it was like great, but at the same time, it was like great, like mentally for me, but at the same time, um, the product is better now because, uh, the people making the product, uh, on a day to day basis, even though some of these are my recipes, but the people doing it are not also thinking about 
paying bills uh, and sure. like, yeah, all of their other myriad things that come with running a business. Um, and so, yeah, it's been like nice to have that and also just like new people or different people have different ideas. Uh, and I can be like, you know, I have no formal, uh, you know, production training, but like here are the things that I've learned um, just because it is ultimately like, you know, having some kind of science background is super helpful with fermentation. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so I can like read papers or whatever, and, like understand kind of what, um, is going wrong, uh, with the product, uh, or what is also going right. Um, and also just, yeah, friends with a lot of nerds too. Um, <laughs> Very but, helpful. uh, yeah, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's really like, I, I have to like, um, think about building the business more broadly now, um, because I want to give people races, basically. Totally. Yeah, and because we want to like continue doing like interesting things, um, and so that also requires like uh, reinvesting in the company, um, mm-hmm. and whether that's people uh, going to different places, like uh, the two production guys, uh, uh, Logan and Jordan. They just went to. Um, uh, Texas, they went to Austin for Wild World, and it was just like, uh, yeah, I want you guys to go and like taste things. And we actually didn't even pour at Wild World. Yeah, it was like I just want you guys to like go and taste things because I poured at the Wild World in uh, New York, and I was like, it was great, but um, yeah, I don't want you to have to think about work. Just like go and like be inspired, uh, yeah. basically, hundred uh, percent. Which I think is like really sweet for them, um, but also yeah, really good for revel more broadly too Mm. um yeah we're still figuring this out by no means have we figured that out but um it's in a much better place uh now as i've like learned to let go of things totally and i feel like there's some sort of uh freedom that comes with the idea of being like okay i have this idea Mm -hmm. and i have people who can execute it totally so it's like even if you're thinking more big picture, you're like, okay, I have this idea for vermouth that's like mm. this combination of things. And I have people on the ground who can then execute it without mm-hmm. you having to like, again, get behind on running a business essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then again, also being able to have that nice feedback where you're like, oh, I'm thinking like this as an idea. And they're like, oh, based on production, mm-hmm. maybe here's a good way of doing that. And you're like, yes, awesome. Totally. Like, let's go with that. Totally. Um, Maybe digressing a little bit here. Um, when we first started working with you, you were still, uh, again, the, re- the reason why we're really excited about you was uh, things like Bittersweet Freedom, mm. um, which, again, has basically existed since the beginning. You're yeah, like, yeah, this totally. is a cider from Three Trees. And yeah. I'm like, that's really exciting to me. This is this is a cider that's about a place. Mm. Uh, it's this this ideology of trying to, capture something that in this case is uniquely Canadian um, in the sense that these three trees don't grow anywhere else. They, mm. Like, yeah. you know, these, these three trees are never going to be uprooted and planted right. somewhere else. It's like, it's, they only exist in this environment and your cider tastes way different than any other uh, cider made from Hislop apples. Yeah, and yeah. We, we tasted, yeah. we tasted some uh, recently. And so, but when we first started working with you, you were not only trying to do those things, but you were also making ciders with ingredients from outside of Canada. Yeah. And what was sort of like the impetus and like when did when did you decide like, okay, we're only using ingredients from Ontario from now on? Yeah. Um, how did how did that transition work? Yeah. Um the date is definitely 
I, I think I made like a an Instagram post that was like nine just like screenshots from my notes app that was like, hey, this is what we're doing now. I hope you like it kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and I did that a couple of times in the early years. And I always like loved uh, doing that. I haven't done that in a minute. But uh, um, yeah, a big part of that was just like, yeah, we were so we were like, uh, to give everyone some context, we were like making uh, things with pineapples and limes and things like that, too, in the very kind of early years. Uh, and then I was like, well, you know, you can get pineapple sage, you can grow, you know, lemon balm and things like that. Uh, like, why are we importing all of this? Like, or why are we buying all this like imported fruit? Like, that doesn't really, um, it doesn't feel great, like economically, like, uh, you know, I'd rather pay farmers here for uh, these ingredients. And also, I think it's like a more uh, exciting kind of story that uh, that I'd like prefer to tell. Um, at this point, too, um, some other folks were kind of getting uh, into cider and making, uh, you know, cider with these other fruits. And it just felt like, um, you know, they weren't all necessarily like executed like super well. But at the same time, it was like, this is like different and it doesn't exist. And I think to date, like uh, still a lot of cideries are gonna import fruit in Ontario. Uh, like there, a lot of them will use uh, Ontario only apples, but then they'll you know buy mangoes or papayas or something uh, <laughs> uh, or like fucking, you know, uh, watermelon candies and add it to their uh, yeah. cider. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, I guess it works for them. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to bring it back. Because at, at this point too, I'm like still thinking, you know, in the back of my head, you know, hopefully the cider can make enough money to buy a farm at some point. And then at that point, like, why the heck are we buying pineapples if we're farming? Like what? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so it was like partially, yeah. There's there's a few different like reasons to to make that uh, uh, jump to Ontario only, but it also was like, I don't know, creatively. If you like give yourself like a bit of a sandbox like that, it just it just leads to like so much more exciting things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like we're, we're like still discovering like new ingredients to this day. And like uh, it's it's benefited us because now we've got this like reputation for like buying weird fruit uh, or weird flowers. And so when farmers have those things, uh, you know, agricultural community is pretty small. People reach out to us because they know we'll buy everything at least once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel 100% the same way. Like I there's. You know, we're not dogmatic about our approach to natural wine. Like there's, we could absolutely, you know, Mark and I definitely both drink mm. wines that nobody in the natural wine community would consider natural wines. And I find them delicious and they're interesting for their own reasons. The same way that craft beer is interesting where it's like, it's a, it's more about artisanship rather than trying to like capture a certain place. Mm. And I'm like, that's also cool for its own reason. Yeah. Uh, it does a different thing. And like, I don't find it as fulfilling in like my personal life, but I can absolutely accept like understanding why people uh, find that really cool. But for us, it's like only working with natural wine makes us again, be a little bit more creative and makes us, uh, you know, focuses us a little bit, which yeah. I think is really useful because if you try and do everything, then you do everything very poorly. I totally. feel, yeah. uh, you know, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen that a lot over the ages and in every permutation, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, and I feel like early on, maybe one of the things that uh, that allowed you to start exploring these things was sort of your relationship with foraging. Um, I know you don't work with the same forager that you did back then, but yeah. you you had access to a lot of things that um, that I feel like opened up my eyes for sure yeah, yeah. to what sort of things uh, were a b like growing just in yeah. Ontario in general, and then b like how they would function in a fermented beverage. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, in high school, uh, I literally like would buy like plant books and then on my 45 walk to 45 minute walk to school, I would like pick random, uh, you know, clovers and flowers and things like that and like eat them. Uh, and like Sarah, my, my girlfriend, uh, thinks that's like crazy when I do that today, to this day when we go on walks, uh, she's like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, but like that was like, I think a big, like, just like, yeah, capturing that, like, uh, I don't know, childlike joy that I had uh, as a kid of just like discovering delicious things that we walk by literally every day um, and like sharing that with people. Um, that is like truly exciting to me too. And I think also like, um, there's this thing that humans do whether it's, uh, you know, taking a photo or, um, you know, writing a piece of music or writing a novel or you know, creating a television show or, uh, you know, fermenting things in a, you know, globalized world where you can get anything at any time of the year. Like it's no longer uh, necessary to ferment things just to, you know, preserve them. Um, all of these things are just like capturing a moment in time. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, I think, you know, the, 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 the main, I don't know, this feels like the human experience for me. Like this totally. is the one thing that we do that's like really different. Uh, and that I think is like, that is fermentation as well. And sure, like you're still doing that if you're buying, you know, imported ingredients, but uh, it's way more interesting of a story for me uh, to like, capture like this uh place uh and like really broadly too um across our portfolio of products i guess but yeah yeah that's one of the things that i definitely find really interesting and very refreshing and has totally like legitimately changed my view on terroir as a general statement we think of terroir in the wine world as like a combination of soil and aspect and weather and and all those sort of things like those are the the factors versus i feel like your interpretation of terroir of like is more like what grows in this ecosystem yeah it's life itself yeah and so this like co-fermentation of everything that thrives in a certain plot of land is like more important important than the soil that it's grown on yeah like that that's what i find really it's something that i find very beautiful about winemakers is this idea of like let's find a grape variety that really like emphasizes chalk in yeah, soil. And that's super and, cool. Yeah. And they're like, go for it. And you're like, okay, let's find an environment in which like all these things grow together or like let's capture because you're using a very broad terroir, like yeah. the entirety of, of Ontario yeah, essentially. Sure, sure, yeah. But you're like, let's see how many permutations of the terroir of Ontario we can capture. And then if you just kind of like layer all those things over top of one another, yeah. maybe you're capturing like the full picture of what the wilderness of Ontario looks like essentially. To totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's non-alcoholic products or vermouth or wine or cider or whatever that is that, you know, we're excited about that 
that month. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is like, yeah, truly, truly exciting. I just did a talk in Toronto uh, and I started by like pouring everyone um, and uh, it was an elderflower tea and it was literally just like hot water and elderflowers. Uh, and I was like, okay, like here's like the first, uh, you know, this is like, so we're all on the same page here. Uh, but like, this is also like, just that right it's it's uh, again capturing uh this you know place that we live in um and it doesn't have to be uh alcohol by any means um but it's also exciting that it is alcohol um because <laughs> i like it but yeah. uh yeah yeah um yeah i don't uh, i feel like i had something to say more i wanted to say about it but i feel like you've also said it <laughs> okay it, it'll come back yeah anyway, totally so um cool so one of the things that I wanted to talk about for sure was, uh, and I know this has been like beaten to death over and over and over again, but uh, the things that you went through during the pandemic, uh, as far as um, a like doubling down on the local market mm. uh, in a pretty significant way, and uh, you know being able to expand your team, and um, I don't know, I feel like you you, you like your company really grew up a lot during, yeah, during the pandemic. For sure. Yeah. Um, is there, what do you think you can attribute that success to and like any recommendations for, for people who want to, uh, you know, be able to build these super, I, I don't know, really good. I feel like it was a really compassionate environment that you were, that you were curating where everybody there wanted to work there and yeah. everybody was really like working together to, through a, to the same goal and I feel like it's probably like a healthy environment for a lot of people to be in at a time when things were really really stressful totally. uh, and then also being able to get obviously economic success out of it that mm -hmm. allowed you to sort of grow into what you are today so yeah uh, so I think it actually starts like um, a year or two before the pandemic so um, yeah it, you know Revel for two and a half years it was me and then I hired uh, Stephen who uh, you obviously know um, yeah. <laughs> and he worked with me for another couple of years uh, but during Stephen's time at Revel what happened was the Ontario government decided to double the amount of taxes that we would pay on every sale to a bar or restaurant which was our entire sales at that point mm -hmm. we maybe had like we had one importer I think in, in California and you guys were importing us at the time um, but it was like a small part uh, export was a smaller part of the business at the time um, it was really just like licensees and also primarily keg still um, but yeah originally when I started the uh, LCBO was taking 20% of every sale that we would make to a bar restaurant and they changed it to 40 and uh, I was like like literally we would have to double the amount of product that we're selling just to stay at the same point uh, at this point, which is like crazy and obviously not going to happen. So we're like, okay, uh, we're like, we need to be smarter about what we're doing. Um, and so at the time, uh, selling direct to consumer, uh, the way the laws were written, you had to have five acres of uh, planted fruit attached to your production facility uh, in order to be able to sell direct to consumer at all, whether it was an online store or a bottle shop or uh, at farmers markets, this is all tied to land ownership. And it really bugged me as like, you know, being a young person who did not have, you know, a million dollars kicking around to buy land. Um, 
I was just like, you're literally just like shutting like young creative people out of the business. Uh, not that old people can't be creative. Uh, I'm not saying that at all, but um, uh, there is like a youthful kind of energy that, uh, you know, people bring to different kinds of in uh, industries. And I felt like we were just like being shut out by people with money that were lobbying to keep those laws the same. Um, and so we were like, okay, I'm just gonna read the rules and like actually see what is required here. And so um, nowhere do the rules say you actually had to own the land that your production facility was attached to basically. Uh, so I just went to uh, Twin Pines, our farmers, um, and you know, bless those guys because they uh, took me up on this like crazy idea. But I was like, look, I was like, I'm already buying all this fruit from you guys. I just want to lease some land from you on paper. I still want you to farm it. I still want to buy the fruit. I'll just pay you a token amount to have these five acres. And can I have your shed too? So I can lease a production facility or I can, sorry, license a production facility in your shed basically. And they were game and I did it. And I had like a three hour phone call with like the AGCO's lawyers. Cause I was like, this is what I want to do. No one's ever done it before this is what your rules say and this is how we're going to check your boxes is that okay and they were like yep they were like yeah we don't basically the answer was that like they had a lot of questions um on exactly what i wanted to do but i was like literally like uh your rules do not say you can't do this and they were like yeah you know what we don't write the rules we just enforce them and like you found this way so like great uh to to fulfill them uh so sure you can do this um and so we got to work licensing it and the, and the the big um to get back to kind of the original uh point here the economic incentive for being able to sell direct to consumer was that the taxes on those sales were still 10% of the sale price. Whoa. And so we were like, we need this channel or we're not going to live. Like mm -hmm. this business is not going to continue to work. And so we were the first ones. So we, so we went this entire process. Um, we technically could have run a on-site bottle shop at their farm, uh, but we didn't because it was like two hours away from us. Um, but we got the online store, which was the key part of that. Uh, and yeah, the AGCO was like, uh, you can ship from your Guelph location. I'm like, great. Uh, perfect. What, what year was this? This was, uh, we launched that in December of... Uh, 2018. Wow, and that's like maybe, really early for online. Yeah, like, boot totally. Stores. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. It, we, we were like maybe like one easily one of the first. Yeah, uh, certainly one of the first to like take it like seriously because like maybe some other wineries had online stores because they could, uh, but no one was like this is the business. Um, we're like this is our 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 bread and butter, uh, mm -hmm. and it had to be for us. And at the totally. same time, people have been buying our products in bars for years at this point, and we're always like how can I get this to drink at home? Uh, so I remember we like launched it like a couple of weeks before Christmas and we sold $10,000 of the product in one day. And Steven and I were like, we had the mobile canning guys uh, come in and they were like canning and we were like taking cans off the line and like, sh like Shopify on our phones and like the cha-ching noise just going. And we we're just like, what the actual fuck is happening? Like, oh my God, this business is gonna work. I was like, we just paid for this canning run in one day holy shit yeah uh, okay we can we can do this <laughs> um and so yeah that was like really eye-opening and also like um I, I would say we were like still pretty bad at selling things online at that point because we, we we were still um 
the licensees were still 90% of the business basically mm-hmm. um, at that point and that was where all of our energy was going and these online sales were coming in and it was like part of like like our Instagram posts were for bars and restaurants it was yeah. like glasses of product like we've just kegged this thing yeah uh, and like people and like consumers are like uh, you know on our Instagram like did you guys bottle any of that one or can, like, can we actually get some of that one and we like we did some of them, uh, but we didn't bottle a lot still because, again, we were just like on that um, kind of hamster wheel of supplying uh, bars and restaurants uh, still, um, just for like cash flow, basically. Yeah. Um, and so the, I guess, special thing about the pandemic was that, I mean, yeah, special is a weird way of describing it, but basically um, with all the bars and restaurants shut down, we were like, okay, like, we have to like sell everything online now. Yeah, uh, direct to consumer. Like bars don't exist anymore. But also, um, the kind of mental space of supplying bars was freed up. Yeah, um, because we literally couldn't do it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, at that moment in time, because we had already been selling online for maybe like a year and a couple months, maybe a year and four months or whatever mm-hmm. before the pandemic, um, every freaking. Toronto listicle that was like, hey, here's how you can get alcohol delivered had Revel Cider on it. Yeah. And people were just going buck wild. Oh <laughs> my God. Uh, like me. Um, so yeah, at this point in time, we are a team of, uh, you know, two full-time people and maybe two part-time people. Yeah. Um, and uh we we quickly like hired a couple of other folks who got laid off from restaurants basically like friends of ours yeah uh, we we're like guys we need to like pack some boxes like can you just like come and help and like people are just bored out of their minds uh, yeah. at home and we're like yeah like let's do this um and so like we drove my shitty red pickup truck uh three times a week to toronto and it was like me and the two production guys we would like switch off like monday wednesday friday uh one of us would do it every day and there was no one on the roads at all at that point in time because you couldn't go anywhere and so gas prices were also crazy cheap and you could like hit 70 stops in one day and one eight hour day uh with two hours of like getting toronto and one hour like one hour getting toronto one hour getting back yeah Uh, and it was just like we were having so much fun, uh, <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah, like we obviously, like, yeah, the world's like shit. Um, like, we thought originally, like, you know, we would be one of the businesses as well that you know would be forced to shut down. Uh, but they deemed alcohol uh, an essential, essential business, business. Yeah. and we were like, okay, we can like legally stay open. Let's figure this out. We'll like, we'll you know, uh, I, I posted the the Bernie Sanders meme, I remember, uh, and it was like. You know, uh, it was like a weekend. We like sold a bunch of stuff, and I was like, I don't know if this is like gonna continue. So I was like, that meme was like, oh, you know, we once again need your financial support or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and people kept fucking supporting us like all throughout, you know, that you know year and a half, two year uh, period, and we just like kept growing, and we were like buying new equipment, and like the quality was getting better, and it was just like holy shit, uh, like the business works all of a sudden because not only uh, are we selling more than we used to, but also we're selling it in a way higher margin channel because we don't have to okay. pay 40% tax on every sale that we're making right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a lot more work because it was like filling bottles is a lot of work. But uh, yeah, it was like, oh, this is how my business works. Um, yeah. 
like financially, all the rest of it. And then, yeah, post-pandemic, we really struggled um, over the last little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably more to say about like that pandemic time. Um, what is it? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, okay. So yeah, post-pandemic, um, yeah, things kind of shifting back to um, uh, bars and restaurants. Um, you know, love bars and restaurants. They built my business. Uh, but at the same time, um, yeah, the, the tax situation with bars and restaurants is not one that's like really conducive to supporting now the amount of staff that we have. Um, so yeah, I think you saw like, and, and also, you know, maybe some like recessionary environment stuff, inflation going crazy. You saw a lot of other businesses just laying people off. Uh, I'm really proud that we like didn't lay anyone off. Um, and kind of um, on the very end of the pandemic, we applied for a very large loan to um, start building a tasting room because uh, we kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit um, as like online was kind of slowing down uh, a touch. Um, but sales were still like good enough that we could convince a bank to like give us a lot of money. Totally. Um, we ended up using a bunch of that kind of cash just to like fund operating a cost. And so I didn't lay anyone off. Um, and we just like, I just like went deeper and deeper into debt, uh, to like keep paying people's wages. Cause I was like, these people like worked fucking their asses off, uh, during the pandemic. Like, I'm not just going to lay them off. Uh, now that things are tough, like we will figure it out and it's going to take some time, but I'm like very confident we can, um, cause we do hard things. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, that was what we did. We now have a shit ton of debt, but the bar is almost open. So hopefully we can start paying that down soon. <laughs> um, but, uh, we, uh, you know, to that point, um, we had had no debt uh, and everything had been built on cash from sales. So it, it mm -hmm. made it, it put us in like a, a better position, um, kind of post-pandemic than I think a lot of businesses were in. Um, yeah. And here we are. Uh, so that's why we're like, you know, we're selling at like five different farmers markets now because yeah. like, uh, you know, instead, and so that is like a direct consumer channel for us. It's, it's, it's by no means has it, um, uh, you know, supplemented all of the online sales that, uh, yeah. we lost, but at the same time it has, um, brought back some of that and then obviously uh, a bar also is direct consumer mm -hmm. um you just don't think about it when your whole uh, kind of mentality is the internet um <laughs> but yeah big fan of the internet but uh yeah we've got to like do some stuff in real life and here we are in calgary yeah. now like doing events and totally and, and pouring liquid into people's glasses and it's like this is this is the business uh, and yeah. it was yeah we just have to operate more like a traditional uh company a little bit um, to make things work, which, yeah, we like historically have not. Jordan actually said a funny thing to me uh, on the drive to the airport to come here. He was like, because uh, he was working at another cider company um, and like just like, you know, a fan of Revel uh, for a few years um, before he started uh, working with us. And uh, he was like, my impression of Revel is just that like, you just like do things. You don't like really like spend too much time um you know thinking about you know oh this is going to be like really hard um you know people are just going to say no and like no one's ever done this before and like we can't do it you just like 
usually like, you want to do something and then you just like ask a bunch of people uh, how to do it and then you just like keep going uh, until someone says no and then when someone says no you find you know ask different questions and then you know that was how we were got a uh, direct consumer channel without owning land that was how we now sell online in the US uh, which is you know no other Canadian company uh, beverage manufacturer has done that yet yeah. um, and yeah it was just like all of these like yeah that that is like the attitude i think that like leads us out so yeah to get back to your original question like what is my recommendation uh to maybe other people it's just like you know you absolutely can do anything that you want to do uh you know if you just continue asking questions of people basically yeah totally. of, of you know the people who might know how to do that thing um yeah and just like i think um you know, don't necessarily look at other examples of how things are done. Just like get back to first principles and like, okay, if you're, you know, operating a business, it's like, okay, what are the numbers that we actually need to make this work um, so that I can, you know, sustain a lifestyle that I want to sustain? Um, and maybe you don't get there right away. Uh, we certainly haven't gotten there yet, but um, I think we're like, I, I feel very confident that we are on the right track. Uh, but yeah, it's also like, it can be tough. Like, um, I'm always really surprised that um, like my staff have like believed in this, like enough, in like my ability enough <laughs> to like pull this off uh, because like uh, I don't always. Uh, yeah. And so it's like, uh, it's really like humbling that, you know, this like group of like very talented, very passionate people are just like, yeah, like this is gonna work out. Uh, and maybe they don't feel like that all the time, uh, but uh, you know they certainly have like trusted me enough to like stick around and continue um, trying to make it happen. And so that totally. is really fucking special. Yeah, and I'm very lucky. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of them almost treat treat like rebel like a like a ship. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just like I believe this thing will sail, and I'm going to like yeah. work my butt off to like keep this thing sort of above water, and just like yeah. you know, it's going to take me the places that I want to go, and yeah. just like let's just go with it, sort of vibe. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot doing it, and uh, you know, we're going to have fun times, and we're going to have some shit times, but that's also just life. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, the other thing that you did a lot during the pandemic was give a lot of money away. Yeah, we uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like huge for me and super inspirational. And a lot of the things that you said uh, during that time, like I can't, I can't remember. We had like one phone call or something like that. And there's just there's something that you said that just like really stuck with me. And then we ended up like basically based on inspiration from you, like went on to, to sort of do our own micro version of that. We, yeah, yeah. we weren't, uh, we weren't quite able to keep sure, up. Of course. With, yeah. Uh, yeah. We were doing quite well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with releasing a product a week and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and being able to donate money from that. But, yeah. uh, how, like, how do you sort of balance that, that sort of like uh, philanthropic ideology? And obviously like, I, again, you said this, to me in private, but like uh, you having your own like personal experiences that that led to you like feeling compelled to to sort of help other people that had been in similar situations to what you had experienced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you balance that with this, uh, you know, sort of like twenty first century like mindset of like get ahead, like keep yeah. everything for yourself kind of vibe, like capitalist lifestyle. Like, how do you balance all sort of like three of those corners of that triangle i suppose so yeah um yeah a lot to unpack there um so i guess to give <laughs> to give people some context uh uh yeah maybe this is like 
uh, <laughs> maybe this is like too long of a story to distill, but I'll try. Um, but yeah, I was uh, kind of arrested for like uh, um, uh, and charged with a conspiracy to commit acts of mischief in excess of five thousand dollars and conspiracy to do something along the lines of like being a terrorist basically um uh in high school uh i was reading i was a big nerd in high school um reading a book uh that um was all about you know uh, you should go bomb dams in the name of the salmon kind of thing yeah uh, yeah yeah very silly uh but like i was doing my 40 hours of community service uh you have to do to graduate high school here um and talking to my buddy who was doing it with me about this book that we were both reading uh that literally like one of the teachers had recommended because uh, it was like in the environment club or whatever um so uh, not because he thought I should go with bomb dams, but just like, it was like, it's an interesting like thing. He was a philosophy teacher. Yeah. Regardless. <laughs> um, his girlfriend came in and like thought we were talking about actually doing it, uh, and basically called the cops and we were like, um, you know, put through 14 hours of interrogation. We were charged. Uh, it went to court. Uh, I had to get like, uh, it was like a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever it is. Um, like, you know get their sign off that I like I wasn't uh a you know threat to I don't know a pipeline or something <laughs> to, I guess to yeah. the dams yeah I right suppose. yeah yeah for all those uh yeah for all those Guelph salmon uh, <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so uh yeah it was a funny time I was 17 years old um and uh yeah went to like a year's worth of court dates uh and oh man yeah i don't want to spend too much time on this but like uh yeah my very first like experience was like we got legal aid like my family could not pay for lawyers or anything but like mm -hmm. um we found like a very like nice firm um and they sent like one of their principal lawyers out the very first day um and he was like this like big like really buff australian dude and like he walks in and i walk in behind him and like my family's not allowed in it's just us and like the judge and whoever else like legal people are there whatever <laughs> courty people um <laughs> uh and he like first thing he does is he cracks his neck twice uh and then like just like goes off he's like the police and their like infinite wisdom have decided to do this and this and i'm just like man i'm so happy this guy's on my side <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, it kind of feels like, um, I guess, I don't know, it was in high school, it, like, felt, like, a little bit, uh, like, it definitely, like, stressful, but, like, less stressful for me than it was for my parents, uh, certainly. Um, yeah, and I would, like, and the whole school knew, too, uh, yeah. like, what had happened. Sure. Um, and it was just, like, uh, I remember two of the teachers, like, saying, like, this was, like, so fucking stupid. Um, anyway, so that was, like, nice to have, like, a community of people, like, like this is insane. Um, and, like, validating that. Because uh, a lot of people don't have that when they go through experiences like this. Mm -hmm. um, but having, like, had that, you know, kind of an experience, um, yeah, when all of the kind of Black Lives Matter stuff was happening, and I was like, yeah, we were making some money. It wasn't even, like... Um, this like philanthropic like thought through thing it was just like this is the right thing to do we're gonna do it um, yeah yeah uh and and the, the benefit of not having investors uh or anything is that you can like make those unilateral decisions sometimes <laughs> uh, and just do things totally. um, yeah and so uh that i think actually um 
I, I, you know, when I started, you know, kind of mid pandemic thinking about like building a business um, more broadly, I went around and asked the team, I was like, what is it about Revel that like you like about like working here or whatever? Um, uh, and like almost everyone said, like, like brought up that philanthropic uh, thing that we were doing. We were donating yeah. like 500 bucks every release um, to like a different um uh, kind of organization, whether there were, you know, um, supporting people in the black community or, um, you know, Native American. We did a bunch of stuff for like, um, kind of, uh, organizations, um, that were, you know, fo- more focused on uh, Native American, uh, issues. Just yeah. Like we ended up in Canada. Like, yeah. We ended up connecting with a bunch of those just, like oh, based sweet. on your recommendations. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. I feel like, yeah, I had this, I had, I had another brewery like ask me to, um, you know, they were like, uh, yeah, it was kind of the same question. Like, uh, like, how do you like think about this? And I was like, I don't think about it. I just like did it and here it is. <laughs> and I'm just like continuing to do it. And I'm like, I'm not like thinking about it that hard. Yeah, it's, it's just like, built into just, the budget now. It's yeah, just like, yeah, it just feels it's like just an operation to do. cost now. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, we're just yeah doing it and like, it's kind of exciting to like learn about a new, uh, charity. And so one of my staff actually, um, she went to school for, um, Oh my goodness, uh, I'm forgetting. Something like socially, uh, anyways, she was the one who put together a lot of those uh, kind of list of charities that yeah. then kind of, uh, so I think like we like reacted like right away and I was just like, yeah, fuck this, like we're doing this. Uh, and then a lot of breweries like kind of hopped on afterwards and like yeah. literally like that list of things was like what we were all just like sharing around that like came totally. out of Revel, which was like pretty pretty like sweet yeah um yeah i think it did a lot of good um but yeah i mean ultimately uh, at, a, at a certain point like we you know coming out of the pandemic we like shrunk really significantly uh, and then yeah we're going deep into debt and i was like fuck like i actually don't think we can afford to do this anymore and that was like very painful for me yeah um for sure but like it's like we will you know bring this or something like it back once we are in a better financial position but like ultimately like yeah, we just like yeah. can't afford to continue doing it. Uh, which I mean, that is kind of how businesses work. You have good times and you have bad times. And yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like very proud of the fact that we chose to do that during a good time. Yeah, for us. Yeah, so, so that's one of the things that we've definitely realized as well too. Is like sometimes the best thing for everybody is for the business to stay alive, so mm-hmm. that there continues to be opportunities to do that collaborate with people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, in the short term it means that like, yeah, okay, cool, like we can't donate as much wine this year or whatever. Um, but if we do well next year instead of going out of business this year, that yeah. maybe means that we can then do you know, we can connect with people over the course of the next ten years as opposed to just like going out of business. Totally. Uh and so yeah, it's it's one of those tricky decisions, but obviously needs to happen at some point and yeah. yeah. Yeah, as much as we want to support these other, like, causes, uh, my first um, kind of obligation is to my staff. So, like, yeah. ultimately, like, yeah, they need to be getting paid well and they need to be, you know, having, you know, some kind of fulfillment from their jobs uh, and, like, maybe, like, learning something or whatever it is that they want to do um, or get out of working at Revel. Like, I need to, like, support that. Totally. Um, and sometimes that just means that that needs a little bit more resources. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so... <laughs> 
to take it in an entirely different direction so that yeah, we don't great. end on such like an intense <laughs> note here. Uh, let, let's go back to maybe like the aesthetics of Rebel, both mm. from like a flavor perspective, but also from from like a brand perspective. Yeah. Uh, I remember a while ago, we were sort of like setting you up for a collaboration with somebody and mm. you were like, hey, do you want to do the labels? Do you want us to do labels? Yeah. And, and the label they, they uh, <laughs> decided on wasn't like really your vibe. And yeah. It kind of made me realize, like, oh yeah, you do have a very specific vibe right. <laughs> uh, for the products, both in like an actual flavor profile. Because I would say that, uh, again, like as much as your brand has like recognizable imagery, like whether yeah. that be sort of the tie dye labels or whether that be you know whatever part of part of it you're thinking of, uh, it does really match with the flavor profile. Yeah. So. What is sort of your like uh, aesthetic inspiration uh, again, both both from like the, the aesthetics of what's in the bottle and what's outside of the bottle, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So I have like uh, like all of the credit for the kind of aesthetic of like um, Revel's uh, you know label design belongs to Drea. Um, uh, she Drea she. Um, opened uh, or, or co-owned, co-opened a uh, little natural wine bar in Guelph called Two Faces uh, with her friend Meg. Uh, and during the pandemic, uh, when we were, you know, switching everything into bottles, basically, um, I was, there was a minute where I was just like downloading different fonts from like Adobe Typekit and just like, uh, like using a different font. And like, it was just the name of the product uh, uh, on a white label. And Drea's like seeing this happen and she's like, Tark, I think you can use some help with label design. And I was like, yeah, she like brought like a book of like hand painted things. Um, and I was like, yes, 100%, let's do this. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I mean, she, you know, they opened their bar December of 2018. Uh, and oh, no. yeah, what a month. <laughs> um, and uh, so she had like seen Revel, you know, from the early days. They bought like a bunch of those, you know, hand painted magnums that I made. Sweet. Um, and so like, yeah, she was very familiar with like how the product uh, tasted and like um, kind of like me as like a personality or my personality. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just like a really really good fit. And she, you know, still does most of the label artwork today. I've done a couple of them here and there. Um, you know, she went to France for a month, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a couple of these. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, they actually like fit with the rest of the vibe which is like kind of nice um and then she also uh was responsible for all of that like photography too mm. um which i think is also like a key part of that like you know imagery whatever you want to call it um where like we made a conscious decision to take as many photos of things uh outside uh, as possible uh, back when back when St it was just me and Steven um, and we were like doing the Instagram ourselves, uh, we made an effort to have like a human uh, hand or something like human in every like photo. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a lot of them outside, but it was like kind of funny because uh, we read space from a moving company and there were like often like random pianos or like crazy couches on the loading dock. Uh, we just like used those in the background and it was like. We just like, it was a big inside joke for us. Uh, just like, uh, you know, we make these like crazy things in this, like, yeah, behind a moving company. <laughs> and it was just like, this is a funny aesthetic. Um, but Drea really took it and was like, you know, let's take some photos that, you know, really represent the product. And like, you guys are out foraging. Um, and like, let's kind of show that as like the backdrop, basically. Um, and so, yeah, that has like continued. It's obviously a lot harder in the winter. Um, so, yeah, we do some stuff indoors as well. Um, 
but yeah, that like aesthetically is kind of, um, we're just telling a story basically through, through the photography. Um, yeah, visually that is the same story of the product. Uh, that's like, you know, I write fucking paragraphs on the back of each bottle, uh, which I wish more wineries did. I feel like there's not enough label. There's not enough information on most wine bottles. Uh, I agree. 100%. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, for me, like writing is like probably my strength. Um, and uh, yeah, having someone who could think about things like a little bit more visually was like a major unlock um, for us. Yeah. What about from uh, a production perspective? Like what has been... Uh, Maybe the biggest change from from start to finish, like anything that you do, is substantially different than you did before, or mm-hmm. um, because I I do feel like your ciders are tasting the best they ever have. Mm-hmm. Like totally. you know, even if I look back three years, like, yeah, it, it is really just like a huge increase in quality. Yeah, uh, and I guess like what can you attribute that to? Yeah, um, I feel like you know during the pandemic you could sell anything because people were just like buying booze like crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily that we were like, uh, you know, putting like crappy product out on purpose, but it was like, we couldn't keep anything in stock. So like we would bottle for nine hours a day and then we would, um, literally just like taste our tanks until we found the next thing that was like, okay enough to bottle because we knew that thing that we had just bottled was going to be sold out in a week. Uh, and we like physically couldn't bottle fast enough. Um, and, and so that led to like some level of, I think, uh, decrease in quality. And that was like uh, a bummer. Um, but we, you know, we're selling a lot of stuff. And so we made a little bit of money and we bought like a nice bottling line that can actually like purge the bottles of oxygen uh, properly, uh, which was something that was never really happening on one of those like little hand lines um, that like everyone starts with those like manual totally. forehead fillers. Um, that and we also got some stainless steel tanks which also we couldn't afford uh, pre-pandemic um but yeah it's one thing to have that equipment and then it's another to like actually like figure out how to use it all um and yeah like i would sit down basically at the beginning of the year with uh, i've tried to make it an effort to do it actually across the business now but you know certainly production was the first priority um and i was like okay like, and, and also we would like taste things as a team before they like left the building and it was sometimes what was happening was like I was like, uh, you know, I'd kind of divorced myself from production a little bit. And I was like tasting some things for the first time at that moment after they'd been packaged. And I was like, this is not okay to sell. Like, yeah, I know you guys just bottled a thousand liters of this and we've labeled it. But like, we are not selling this um, because it's got too much VA or something. And I was just like, okay, like we've like seriously got a problem that we need to like figure this out. and we did. Uh, so yeah, we had like a couple of years there where we were like totally zero sulfur, um, had a lot of like mousy VA issues and we're like, okay, you know, we're going to use 15 to 30 parts. Uh, and that is going to, you know, hopefully make our products better. Uh, and like, let's see what happens. Let's do that for a year. Um, and we don't do it with every product. Like if it's, um, kind of something that, uh, if it's a pet nap, for example, we're not adding any sulfur to those because we know that uh, that fermentation in bottle is going to consume the oxygen. So whereas sulfur would protect from that, you don't necessarily need that with a pet nap. Um, And yeah, that's also just a function of like understanding some level of science, which is nice. Um, But uh, yeah, so we started using sulfur again, um, which 
I'm glad we did because I think, yeah, again, everything is tasting better. Totally. Um, Way more like long-term stable. Like you can keep those bottles mm-hmm. open for days now and totally yeah totally yeah yeah we still do you know have the occasional you know mousy bottle pop up um but it it is much fewer and far between um but yeah that was like partially that it was also partially like you know we were seeing this like decrease in sales that i don't think was actually quality driven i think was more kind of broader economy economy driven yeah um but at the same time, we're like, okay, we need to do everything humanly possible to give people the best experiences possible. Like when I talk to the team, uh, that is what we talk about the most. And so it's the entire experience from like, um, you making the product uh, and then like opening it and then hitting their glass to like also the delivery experience, also the emails that they get, also the social media that they see, like it all, um, feeds into like like you know we we don't necessarily like yes products need to be good and we we, we're gonna buy good products uh you know as you know human beings that buy things yeah Uh, but at the same time um like i think the most um a, a big part of like drinking interesting things is like uh how it makes you feel and the stories that um you can kind of you know, tell your friends or whatever. Um, like this is like literally what we do. We like open things. We're like, oh, like this is really cool, or like I visited this place or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, so like, so I like try to share as much of that, whether it's in a newsletter or on a label on the back of a bottle, as I can. Um, but also, yeah, the products also got to like live up to all of that, and it's got to like we have to continue to deliver that like really good experience throughout the entire chain, I guess, of like interactions that someone has with Rebel Cider. Um, and so, yeah, that is how we think about that. Um, we're not perfect at it, certainly. Um, and we're always testing new things, but um, I think we're getting, it's certainly better than it has been uh, across the board, I think too. Uh, I haven't been so good at like actually doing like consistent newsletters anymore, which I'm a little bummed about. Uh, and that's like mainly because I'm like uh, trying to build a bar and run a US <laughs> online store and cover three people's vacations uh, at the same time over like the last month. Uh, but it will come back. It will come back. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like very excited for it to come back because I really love uh, doing that. And yeah, I just need to like, we need the revenue from the bar. How I come more people so I can like get a little bit more focused again. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so coming from a farming background, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, you don't farm anything at the moment, but you do have relationships with a lot of different farmers. Maybe you can talk a little bit about those relationships and how you've built those relationships and, and what those relationships look like, whether it's just like you just trust them to do what they do or whether you have any... Um, sort of input into A, the way they farm, B, mm. the things they do farm, uh, when those things become available to you, like all that sort of stuff. So like, how does your relationship with the growers work, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my relationship with growers is like um, uh, very much tied to like, you know, having lived on a farm and like understanding just like how hard the work they do is. Um, and so, uh, you know, we work with like, organic producers are like, um, I mean, they're few and far between everywhere in the world, but um, we uh, work with a, a very small number of them. Most of the growers that we work with are conventional growers. Um, however, uh, whenever I go, whenever we're working with a new farmer, I'll go out there and, and talk to them a little bit and like having um, 
it's funny actually because they've all like taken the same program that I did uh, at UFG <laughs> and so we like connect on that which is nice but also uh, we're speaking the same language and like uh, you know you can tell they can tell me what they're spraying and what they aren't uh, doing and I like have uh, enough of like agricultural chops to be able to understand that which I think is like very very uh, useful um, at the same time um, yeah, so like our, you know, our apple farmer, they really don't spray anything except for uh, streptomycin only when the um, apples are blooming and it's raining at the same time. It's like a very specific point in time because yeah. that leads to uh, a disease called fire blight. Streptomycin is an antibiotic that you can buy over the counter as a human being and take it yourself. <laughs> um, uh but yeah, uh, fire blight can kill your entire orchard, and so like I like understand like this is like someone's livelihood. They like cannot lose an entire orchard that's taken like ten years to establish itself. Like yeah. I'm not gonna begrudge them because they have to spray one thing at this very specific moment of the year. Uh, like I'm like yeah, you have to survive, and it's already hard enough for farmers. So it's like I'm not totally. going to say no. I'm not gonna work with your fruit because of that. Uh, I think that's like a little bit. Um, it's a very privileged, uh, like unrealistic, like kind of like it just feels wrong to do that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, uh, there are farmers like um, the one who grows our uh, hybrid grapes who like, you know, we're telling him like, hey, this is why we're excited about hybrid grapes. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, OK, like I get it. I am going to transition to organics. Uh, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an older uh, gentleman, uh, Doug. Um, and it's like a family-run farm, actually, completely. So, like, they don't hire any immigrant labor. Uh, it is all, like, their own families that yeah. uh, that picks everything, uh, right. which is maybe, like, also more of an impetus because, uh, I don't know, you have, I don't know, I, obviously farmers care about the workers, but, like, uh, it's your own family out there, like, picking all this stuff. It's, like, your kids and your grandkids. So you're, like, okay, sure. like, I don't want to be, it's maybe, yeah, more of an impetus to, to switch to organics. Um, but he's, like, hearing us talk and, like, kind of understanding the things that we're saying because uh, we're speaking the same agricultural language and he's like, yeah, okay, we're going to transition uh, to organics and like, that's cool. Um, yeah, so uh, that is, yeah, how I think about farming. Uh, at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of trust that like, these guys have been doing this for decades. Like, uh, you know, I might have some understanding of agriculture, but like, I've not been doing that. Uh, yeah. I have not been really growing strawberries for, you know, generations. Like, <laughs> uh, they're going to know more than I am. Uh, and I'm like, I can understand what they're doing uh, if they tell me. Um, and when I go out and speak to them, uh, they do. But uh, yeah, at the same time, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I guess, push um, uh, to an un unrealistic degree, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What about when it comes to uh, the botanicals that you use? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, your focus with vermouth, and again, like this is like almost verbatim quote from you, but it's like anybody can buy orange peels uh, mm -hmm. and, and like Coriander Angelica and coriander. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like anybody can just like buy, buy those, but you're using local ingredients. How is like accessing those local ingredients? Because it's not like you walk into your average farmer's market and, and totally. see like a big pile of like sassafras or something like that like yeah uh like a like how do you find out about 
these things and their usefulness in in beverages yeah uh, and then b like how do, how do you acquire enough of it to make a commercial product yeah so uh two things yeah so we forage a lot of flowers uh and we've like gotten good and like made uh, you know or bought a couple of little tools for like uh, picking dandelions for example uh or you know uh, going out to get lilacs now we have like a kind of a route that we go every year like we know where this fruit is or where these flowers are um at the same time we grow a lot of botanicals ourselves actually mm-hmm. um so we've built like uh, maybe 50 planters just outside of the cidery around back um and uh, it's often at first we will plant something uh and like I mean, it's, it's, it's a year-long iterative process. Like, you plant something and you get a crop later on and then you try it and maybe it's good and maybe it isn't. Um, but, I, yeah, there's, like, a, a portion of our... It's not, like, a fixed portion, but a portion of our uh, planters every year are, like, dedicated to experiments. Um, and, like, uh, I'm, like, yeah, also fortunate that I've hired uh, uh, a lot of, like, plant nerds uh, like myself <laughs> uh, and so uh, it's not just me you know driving this it's not me driving this um uh really in the first place uh, at all anymore it's it's actually logan is doing a lot of it uh, but even christy who you know is not necessarily uh involved in production uh used to be a gardener in a in a past life uh and so uh yeah um everyone is interested in plants <laughs> and, and growing them um which is helpful but uh yeah so uh we're growing the wormwood ourselves um because that's something that's a little bit harder to forage we have found um and then we'll grow like sassafras uh, sorry not sassafras but we'll sweet sweet grass ourselves um too and then uh like lemon balm and lemon verbena these things we'll grow ourselves too uh, and a few other things of course but uh yeah, so that's often what's happening. And at the same time, um, using these ingredients so fresh, like picking them and then putting them into liquid within minutes, uh, actually means they're a lot more potent. Um, mm-hmm. They have like their oils haven't, you know, evaporated off. And so you can actually use a little bit less. Uh, although we certainly are not, probably not growing enough botanicals to support, definitely not to support the vermouth demand. Uh, that has just been bonkers. Uh, oh my goodness. But the vermouths are good. They're really freaking good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, I feel like we've been chatting for a long time now and honestly, we've been chatting all weekend as well. So there's like a million <laughs> more things I can ask you, but, uh, I feel like that's kind of, uh, where we'll call it unless you have any more, uh, you know, amazing stories that you want to share or anything that you want to say about, uh, about Revel as a, as a general statement. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously come to the bar. Yeah. I mean, definitely come to the bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Revelcider.ca, I guess if you want to order stuff or rebel, uh, cider.com if you're in America. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Jeez. This is just like me rambling. Uh, yeah. (laughs) This is how everybody feels at the end of recording the podcast. It's like, are people actually going to listen to me talk? Yeah. It, it, honestly no not yeah, like yeah, sure, sure our podcast is, is not very popular sure. but uh so, still but, an absolute pleasure to do yeah it. i yeah. think like yeah 28 people will listen to this and that that's uh that'll be great so yeah but, I, I find it helpful to sort of refresh myself uh i will like go back and read things that are written and i will certainly be going back and listening to this myself so it's certainly worth it regardless. yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, sweet. Well, yeah, uh, obviously if you want to contact us and, and purchase Revel for your, uh, store and or restaurant or figure out where, uh, Revel's available in Alberta, definitely, uh, check out our website, which is 
www.juiceimports.com. Uh, you can send me an email at eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com as well. Um, and yeah, if you have any other questions, just reach out to us on, on Instagram or anything like that. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for uh, for hanging out. Yeah, of appreciate course. it. Yeah, I want to add one thing, I guess. Uh, actually, if you're in Alberta, do not buy on Furware website. <laughs> you should absolutely be buying from uh, local uh, bottle shops, uh, not just because their business is in your neighborhood and you should support them, but also because it's cheaper uh, to uh, get our <laughs> products from those local bottle shops than it is to buy from us. Uh, or I mean, you don't have to pay for shipping, uh, and they're usually the same price. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, honestly, uh, they were pouring earlier today at both Vine Arts and Oak and Vine. So, uh, definitely people who, who consistently carry it in uh, in Calgary, but, uh, you know, there's dozens of other places. And we, we have uh, links uh, on our website to every single product, uh, Rebel product. So, you can just click on that, enter your postal code, and it'll show you the closest place that's ordered it recently. So, easy as pie. Uh, sweet. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll chat with y'all soon.